Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Flame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, Callie, and this week's episode is going to be the first half, Let's Not Meet and Creepy Encounters, and at the end, some good old trusty Glitch in the Matrix stories. So with that being said, and without further ado, let's get into it. In 2010, I was driving from New Orleans, Louisiana to Eugene, Oregon. It was just me, 24-year-old female, and my two-year-old pit bull in a 14-foot U-Haul truck with everything I owned crammed into the back, a fancy flip phone, and my printout of a MapQuest directions. I think the first smartphones actually came out around that time, but I didn't have one. Cell phone service was also much spottier and there were long stretches through the desert where I had zero service for hundreds of miles. I was driving a lonely stretch of highway through central Texas when I realized I hadn't seen a town or an exit for a very long time and my giant U-Haul was really low on gas. Just when I started to freak out and seriously run out of gas, I see a small town coming up. I pull into this town and it is tiny. I was so worried about other things that I never did pay attention to the name of the town. But there were only about six streets in the whole place. I go gas up and I'm ready to get back on the road. Except I cannot for the life of me find my way back to the highway. I circle the town about four times and start getting so frustrated because This is such a tiny town. How the fuck can I not find my way out? I can literally see the highway, but can't get to it. I returned to the gas station to ask for directions. Now, when I got gas, I paid the pump and never went in. And when I enter for directions, there's a skinny, nondescript guy who has black hair hanging down in front of his eyes that looks like it could use a good wash. He's not particularly creepy, but a little rude. He never really met my eyes. He was looking down at a magazine. He gives me directions that don't sound right at all. He's telling me to take a road that will get me to the highway in about 17 miles. For a moment, I'm dumbfounded. Then I point out that I didn't drive that far to get from the highway into town. Why so far to get back to the highway? I can literally see it from the town. He is so casual, almost like I'm just an annoyance and can follow his directions or not. Why should he care? He gives me some explanation about the road curving around that just doesn't really make sense. He still doesn't look at me. Just whatever. I gave you directions and he waved his hand in the direction of the door. When I got into the parking lot, my whole body started trembling violently and my heart started racing, seemingly for no reason. I get into the truck, and as soon as I put my key into the ignition, I just burst into tears. 
I had the most terrible feeling that no matter how nonchalant he acted, this man had bad intentions. I didn't know what, but I knew right then and there that there was no way I was going to follow his directions. Yet this was the only store in this little town and short of knocking on doors, no thank you, there was no one else to ask for directions. I decided I didn't give a shit if this town seemed like something dropped out of the twilight zone. I was going to drive around until I found my own way out, even if it took all damn night. Then a big red beater of a pickup truck, as much rust as metal, pulls up and disgorged the quintessential Texas man, huge husky and in a flannel and work boots. Without even thinking about it, I jumped out of the truck and approached him, quickly yet warily. Looking into his eyes, I saw a kind human being, or at least I was hoping I did. I asked him if he could please give me directions to the highway. I told him I knew it was silly, but I just couldn't seem to find my way back. He looked concerned as I was visibly upset, so he made me laugh and very cheerfully gave me directions for a hairpin curve turnoff right at the end of a small concrete tunnel that I had passed several times. He said it often confused travelers because it was so hard to see and they needed to put up signs, etc. With a sinking feeling in my stomach, I asked him how far in miles was it back to the highway. He laughed and gave me a funny look. Miles, miss, I'd say it's a quarter mile at most. You can see the highway from right here. At this point, I couldn't help it. I had to know what happens if I drive. And I gave him the directions the man in the store had given me. Texas looked at me very intently and asked me how I knew about that route. It was pretty far out and usually only locals knew about it. So I told him. He was quiet for a few minutes and then asked what the attendant looked like and if I had a map of the state. No, I just had my map quest, which wasn't helpful in this situation. He goes to his truck and grabs a raggedy local map from his glove box. Spreading it out for me, he traces the route I describe. The way the man from the gas station had told me to go led away from town, away from the interstate, and led to seemingly the middle of nowhere. Texas told me that the road did go about 17 miles right before it dead-ended in the desert. I asked him what was out there, and he told me that it was nothing but some junk cars and a few trailers and mobile homes, all owned by the same family. This family was known as local troublemakers, meth heads, and alcoholics, and these were the nice things townspeople had to say about them. And the erstwhile clerk was part of this family and lived down that road. I will never forget the look in Texas's eyes as he told me this. He also told me that I was smart to listen to my instincts and he told me to be careful traveling out there. I don't know if the man from the gas station wanted what was in the back of my U-Haul or what was in the driver's seat, but thankfully I didn't have to find out. And I learned that sometimes angels look like ruddy-haired Texans with scruffy faces and rusty pickups. Thank you, random Texas stranger. You really saved my ass, and I will always remember you with tons of love. 
I'm sorry I didn't ask your name. You're forever Texas to me now. I want to share something that happened to me when I was very little, and I still have chills to this day. My grandma was sick, and my parents left me and my sister in our house to go see her. I was a five-year-old little girl, and my sister was seven, I believe. We were told to go to sleep, which we did. When it was already very late, I'm pretty sure way after midnight, I heard meowing outside of our house. I didn't think anything, didn't ask my sister. I just went ahead to the front door and opened it. There were four men outside and they looked at me. And I remember to this day, one of them had this evil smile. Just by an instinct, I understood that I am in very, very big danger. And probably within a few seconds, even though it felt forever, I closed the door and was able to lock it. They went to grab the doorknob, but didn't catch it. It just happened so fast. They started trying to break the door, screaming and cursing, hitting it with feet, shoulders, and God knows what. My sister woke up and we were so afraid. She came to me and told me to go under the bed because if they break in, they won't know we're home and maybe they won't find us. I was too scared to tell her what I did and that they know I'm here. We were under the bed for a very long time and eventually those men left. I don't know why and after how long. We just fell asleep and stayed under the bed till the morning when my parents came back and saw the door all damaged and my sister told them that someone tried to break in. I never told anyone what I did. I'm so scared and panicking to this day when I look back. I could have been the reason for my sister and me being killed. I still get completely horrified thinking about that night. Okay, so this happened when I was around nine years old. I'm 25 now and it's something I will never forget. It gives me goosebumps to this day. I lived in a terraced house, four houses combined, and my neighbors and I each have our own little patio. There's a small road 10 meters from my yard where people do their Sunday walks and so on. Only a small fence separates my yard and the patio from that road. I live in a pretty crowded area with several of these terraced houses spread around in the neighborhood. So seeing people walk on that road is pretty normal for me. Seeing random people standing on my patio is not. When I was nine, I usually got home from school about an hour before my mom got home from work. I live maybe 50 meters away from my schools. My mom figured I was mature enough to go home alone for around an hour before she got home. And this one day I got home from school I did the usual thing, which was to make sure I locked the front door and double-checked that the back door leading to the patio was also locked. I was nine, so being alone was a little scary, even though it was in the middle of the day and only for one hour. 
I then rushed to my room upstairs to play as much PlayStation as possible before my mom came home and made me do homework. While playing, I heard this noise coming from outside my window. My room was located one floor over the patio with a view to the road I told you about before. It kind of sounded like a cat, but my cat had been missing for over three months. Hope sparked and I thought, oh my God, did he finally come back? I ran downstairs to check if it was my cat, but the sight that met me gives me goosebumps just writing this. There was a guy standing on my patio, a tall guy with black hair covering half of his eyes, making him look like a male version of the ring woman or something. I could hear him making high-pitched sounds, almost like a cat meowing. A brown liquid was running down from his mouth and I could see him spitting out my dad's stomped cigarettes. He was actually eating from the ashtray. I was frozen observing this, eventually snapping out of it and screaming so loud the man must have heard it. He didn't react. He kept on eating from the ashtray. I ran upstairs to my room and locked the door and called my mom, who then called the cops. I've never been more terrified in my life, laying in bed under the sheets, just shivering with fear as I hear these creepy high-pitched noises from the guy eating cigarettes stomped from the ashtray on my patio. I kind of blacked out for a moment because the next thing I remember is the police arriving on the road by my yard. I hear them talking to the guy saying stuff like, what are you doing? Get over here or we're gonna come and rescue you. And so on. He didn't respond, but the high-pitched sounds became more frequent and louder. I decided to look through my window, feeling safe now that the cops were there. I could see two police officers standing by my fence, one man and a woman. I didn't see the creepy man, however, because he was standing directly one story under me and out of my field of view. The police jumped the fence and I remember hearing the creepy guy screaming louder than anything I've ever heard before. He charged the female police officer with full force and he fucking knocked her out cold. The male officer then immediately tased the guy, leaving him shaking on the ground, screaming still. The policeman struggled to keep him on the ground while putting handcuffs on him, but eventually made it. After a while, he managed to wake up the female police officer who seemed to be badly hurt. He called for backup and an ambulance and Then he sees me standing in the window above him. The expression on my face must have been something else because he just looked at me and said, I sure as hell hope you didn't see all of that. I started to cry. And by this time, neighbors started to arrive wondering what the hell was going on. One of my neighbors, an elderly woman, made me come down and she took care of me until my mom came back home. The police took the creepy guy with them in the car and left. Before they left, they promised to come back and talk to us about what had happened. This is where the story takes an unexpected turn. The male police officer came back later that night and sat down with me and my mom to talk. 
He explained that the guy on my patio was actually diagnosed with severe autism. He had escaped the facility where mentally challenged people go to live and it was located around five kilometers from where I lived. He explained that the guy had actually been living in my house five years ago, but he had been forced to move out when his mom, his only caretaker, died. The poor guy probably thought he would find his mom in my house. He missed the routines and he missed living there with his mom. The police had to move him from the house that time five years ago because he was extremely strong. This was the reason he reacted the way he did when the police came that day. Still frightened, I told the police officer that he needed to make sure this would never happen again. And he promised that it wouldn't. After a few sleepless nights, my life got back to normal. The years went by and the guy didn't come back until one year ago. At this time, my mom and dad had moved out and I bought the house from them and I'm still living there today. I was enjoying my morning coffee on the patio when I see this random guy stopping on the road by my fence. He just stands there looking at me. I look at him and give him a nod. And then I hear the high-pitched noises. Holy shit, it's him. His hair had turned gray, but the high-pitched sounds made me realize. My heart started racing and I instantly remembered the reason why he was back. I realized that he must have managed to escape again. And because I kept my cool a bit longer than when I was nine, I started to realize how sorry I felt for the guy. 16 years later and he was back to look for his mom. I decided to carefully ask him if he wanted to come down to the patio. He instantly jumped the fence. I started to think he would knock me out like he did the other police officer. He didn't. He smiled. He looked at me and smiled. I offered him to sit down. He didn't respond. I offered him to come inside. He started laughing. We went inside and his face lit up. Pure joy. I mean, he was home. It reminded him of the life he had with his mom. It almost made me tear up. All of a sudden, he sat down on my couch, turned on my TV, and switched directly to the cartoons. I observed him for a while. He was just completely focused on the cartoons. I just wanted him to enjoy the moment so I didn't say anything to him. I realized I had to call the facility to let them know, and the caretakers arrived 10 minutes later. After a lot of convincing, he got back up, crying, and then went back to the facility. I called the facility two days later. We made a deal. His name is Tom, and now I consider Tom my friend. Every Sunday from the day he returned, Tom and his caretakers visit me to watch cartoons. They say it's the highlight of his week, and it makes my heart warm. Now, for several years, my thoughts were, let's not meet guy on my patio eating from the ashtray and now my thoughts are let's meet every Sunday to watch cartoons my friend Tom This happened a little while back when I was 15. 
I'd just discovered their rebellious act of sneaking out. This was probably my fourth or fifth time of doing it. And this was one night I decided to go and meet up with my boyfriend. At this point in time, we weren't together, but we liked each other. And you know how that goes. When you're with someone you really like, you tend to not really pay attention to what's going on around you. The night starts out fine and we're having a good time. I don't remember exactly what we were talking about because we had gotten pretty high, but I do remember what happened. We'd met up and gone to this elementary school that had a decent sized field with some hills and trees towards the end. And it's important for me to explain this in order for you to understand how things went down. From where we were sitting, we had a clear view of the school as well as the school's basketball court. And the school was illuminated from the side light, so we could easily see if anyone walked by, but it wasn't necessarily easy for anybody to see us. To our left was a little pavement path that led into a townhouse complex. So we're sitting there at the edge of the field looking at stars and talking about random shit when we start to hear the crunch of gravel coming from the school. Because we are high and paranoid, we immediately turn our attention to the illuminated basketball court. We watch as this guy walks by with his bike and he doesn't seem to notice us. After he passes, we almost instantly forget about it and resume talking, laughing, and just being a bit loud. Maybe 10 minutes later, we hear that same crunch of gravel. So we go silent and look towards the school. Once again, it's the bike guy. But this time, once he reaches the basketball court, he doesn't keep walking. Instead, he stops at the edge of the field we're sitting on and just stares out at it for maybe a minute or so, kind of like he was looking for us. We're a little creeped out at this point, so we start packing our things to leave. Then this dude begins walking towards us. Once he stepped onto the field, it became much more difficult to see him as the light from the school only lit up so much. We take this as our cue to leave, and the only way to leave without being extremely visible is to take the path into the townhouses. So that's what we do. We try our best to be quiet, and we walk through the pitch black path that leads to the townhouse complex. Keep in mind that we are not sober, so we're extra freaked out. I checked behind us constantly and for some reason could not shake the feeling that something bad was going to happen. We finally reach the end of the pitch black path and make it into the decently lit townhouse complex. We ease up a little bit and begin trying to find our way to the main entrance exit because that's the closest way out besides the way that we came in. We're walking through the complex and start talking once more. Finally, we turn the corner to leave, and just as we're about to leave, we see this same fucking guy with this bike right at the entrance. We all stop for maybe two seconds, and then this guy drops his bike and darts right at us insanely fast. I mutter a quick, oh fuck, and my boyfriend and I begin sprinting as fast as we can away from this guy. We turn random corners and go down little back alleys, not once checking behind ourselves. I don't know when and where we lost him, but when we became tired and took a stop behind some bushes, we both noticed that there was no man in sight. We stay in the same position for about 20 minutes, just trying to calm down. And at this point, we both pretty much sobered up, so we decided to try and leave again. 
We begin walking through the complex once more, and when we make our way back to the main entrance, we both see that the bike guy's bike is gone. We are both unsettled by this because now we know he's no longer in the townhouse complex. We have no clue where this guy is or if he's just going to randomly appear again. Lucky for us, we both made it home safe that night, but I'll never forget the feeling of my heart sinking when we saw the bike guy blocking our way out. By far, one of the creepiest things I've ever experienced. Last night, my 22-year-old female's husband, 25-year-old male, woke me up at around 11.50 to tell me that someone has been knocking on our door and ringing our apartment doorbell for about 10 minutes on and off. He woke me up so I could possibly ID the person. Once I looked out of our upstairs apartment window, I saw the man walking to his car in our apartment parking lot across the street from our unit. He was wearing blue jeans and a gray t-shirt. He was a medium build, possibly 30-year-old blonde man. He wasn't covering his face or anything, but the thing is, he was carrying what looked like resistance bands or rope. He sat in his car for around three minutes while I was on the phone with dispatch. Then he came back to our door and knocked hard for another few minutes. Dispatch advised me that the police were on their way and they hung up. I started videoing the vehicle. I read the tag number out loud and make and model and just watched as he put his car in park and reverse over and over again. And out of seemingly nowhere, he backed out of the parking lot and started rushing away, but not before the officer arrived and pulled him over. My downstairs neighbor knocked on my door and told me that he had been peering into her little children's windows and was pounding on her door as well. She said that her husband had left only one minute before he started knocking at her door. She said he saw her children through the window and that's why he continued knocking. Our doors are right next to one another, so he probably didn't know what door he wanted opened. He was watching us as well through our upstairs windows. So I turned all the lights off and shut the blinds while I called dispatch. The police never contacted us for a statement. I've reached out to dispatch about an update and I'm waiting to see if any action was taken. We're keeping our eyes peeled to see if he's been following us. I'm replacing my porch light bulbs with motion detectors and putting bars in our windows and door tracks. My neighbor and our families are panicked to say the least. He was outside for about 25 to 30 minutes. To the knocking man with bad intentions, let's not meet. Update, I'm trained in firearm usage and now live in a state where I can open carry and the background check is really quick. We're going this weekend to get a firearm. My husband will be taking some classes as he came from somewhere where owning a gun is illegal, so he's never handled one. I'm still waiting on a call from the responding officer. I have his badge number and name, so if they don't reach out to me today or tonight, he might work third shift. I'll call the substation. 
if they didn't do anything, I'll go ahead and make a suspicious person's case for the paper trail. We had no odd encounters last night though. However, while I was looking at the video I took, I remember that car. I was walking my dog at 8 p.m. a week ago for him to go pee, and this car was driving really slow through the parking lot and parked a few spots down from where I was letting my dog sniff. They just sat there with their car running. And when I tell you my ears started ringing and I got an awful feeling, I'm not joking, I turned around and went home, didn't even give my dog the chance to pee and shut every door and window. I think this man has been staking out our apartment building, me and my neighbors. I think he wanted to get in where those children are. Update number two. It's been a week since the incident. I called dispatch today because I never received a follow-up from the responding officer. A sergeant from the PD called me back to give me more information. He said that they pulled over the man, ran him to make sure there were no warrants, and asked him what he was doing. He told the officer that he was meeting up with an acquaintance. The officer let him go with no further questions. Not only that, the officer who was responding is also a sergeant. I about lost my mind. The sergeant I spoke to today stated that he should have looked into it more. It was obviously an attempt at burglary, sexually motivated and or with intent to commit a felony. The responding officer is supposed to call me tonight when he gets on duty. I'm livid, honestly. Zero due diligence for this case, but there's not even a case. No case number, just a documented police contact. Final update. The officer finally called me, and here's how the conversation went. Hello? I answered groggily as it was well past midnight. Hello, miss. I was told you have some questions about an incident a few nights ago. Yeah, about Thursday. I wanted to know what that man told you he was doing. You know, he was looking in windows and carrying potential restraints. I'm not sure if that was relayed to you. I stopped him, ran his tags, and he told me that he was meeting up with a guy from a dating app. He seemed forthcoming and open with his motive for being there. Meeting up with what? Wait, he was meeting up with someone by looking in windows, knocking on two different doors for 20 minutes? I was shocked and still not fully awake. Like I said, he seemed forthcoming and honest with me. So was Jeffrey Dahmer was the first thing that came to my mind. With resistance bands, like workout bands. Well, you know, he had lots of things in his car, so he probably just had them in there. They're right but bringing them to a hookup, knocking on multiple doors. He saw the little girls through the window. He waited until my neighbor's husband left until knocking. That's on tape, officer. I checked in with the apartment management after the incident. Well, I'm familiar with this individual and I've been doing drive-throughs of your complex to make sure he doesn't come back. I haven't seen anything. If you don't have any more questions, I'll let you go, ma'am. Doesn't make sense to me, but thank you. Goodbye. And I hung up. I don't have much to say. I just feel so icky about that conversation. Nothing new has come of it, and I haven't seen the man or the car. My mind is blown at the lack of follow-up or due diligence. I live in a suburb. It's not a busy one either. The PD has a small jurisdiction. 
guess I'll just have to protect myself. I know this story may sound fictional. A lot of people don't believe me when I tell it, but I can assure you that the other person involved also witnessed what occurred that strange night. This happened 11 years ago with an ex-girlfriend. It actually changed our relationship for the worse and we ended up breaking up a few weeks after. Nonetheless, I still remember it like it was yesterday due to how unexplainable it was. My girlfriend at the time wanted to surprise me with what she said was an overnight surprise trip. I obliged and felt like I was a pretty lucky guy for her to do something that required that much planning. After packing a duffel bag full of clothes and toiletries, we left for what I thought was a resort or some kind of hotel stay. Two and a half hours passed when we pulled off of a main road and headed down an off-road path. I asked her if this was a camping trip and she replied yes. To be honest, I was disappointed as I didn't really like camping and not to mention I wish I knew to pack my hiking shoes. I didn't complain, of course, because it was still a romantic gesture. Fifteen minutes of this rough road and we finally pulled into a camping ground. The first thing I noticed was that there really wasn't anyone around us. It made sense, though. I mean, this was really far off the beaten path. And I was actually surprised her car made it that far out, considering how harsh the road was. Anyway, we make a fire pit and she cooks dinner. Everything's going fine and we're really feeling each other. We, of course, take it to the tent as the sun goes down and we're vibing off each other. I mean, yeah, it was what you would expect would happen as we begin moving things along as young college-age kids do. And this is where the first strange occurrence happens. I hear scratching noises on the side of the tent. I try to remember if we set the tent up next to brush. Maybe the wind is causing branches to rustle against the tent? Oh, well, that's the woods. Maybe it's a bird or something else. It stops rustling and we continue chilling as if nothing happened. Then things escalate in a strange manner. It's like the wind stopped and the environment became silent. We both felt uneasy, causing us to get sort of knocked out of our playful mood. She laid next to me as we tried to concentrate on listening to hear if there was a bear or some other animal in the area. Then it happened in an instant. Something akin to an explosion hit the tent tremendously hard. I could compare it to say if a log was thrown like a battering ram against the side of the tent. And I say this because it literally pushed the material in forcefully and felt dangerous. A surge of adrenaline lit through my body as I felt like something violent was outside the tent. I never knew if I was a flight or fight guy, but I guess my next action gives me some idea. I yell aloud, give me the knife and the flashlight. As I scramble up and unzip the tent with tools in hand, my first thought was that I was going to confront some psycho that was messing with us, perhaps with a baseball bat or some kind of battering weapon. I kid you not, I launched myself out of that tent and stood up in a flurry to confront my attacker. A few breaths passed 
as a cold feeling sets in. I'd do a 360 scan to nothing but silence and darkness. Maybe it was a branch that fell on the tent? No, there was absolutely nothing on the ground where the thud was heard and felt. Hello? Hello? I yelled again and again to no response. Until only a moment later in the silence, a chill shot up my spine. Get the keys and get out of the tent. I said in a frantic tone as my girlfriend listened and now joined me. I looked at her car that we arrived in and noticed it was about 30 yards out by the shoddy off-road path. She didn't even need to know what I was thinking as we both just started to speed walk towards it. You might be thinking at this point that I'm overreacting, but truly I cannot describe the terror that washed over me when I looked out in the darkness after investigating the tent. I mean, I could feel like something was watching me and to top it off, it was eerily silent. I know she confirmed my suspicions when she started for the car immediately without question. Our instincts were telling us to get the hell out of there. The walk to the car was unnerving and felt like a football filled away, but finally we got into the car. With the keys in hand, I took the driver's seat. After turning the keys, led to some relief as the engine started. Instinctively, I locked the doors and turned the headlights on. And we sat for about three seconds, trying to rationalize what was happening when my girlfriend started exclaiming, my laptop is moving, something's in the tent. She said this because she brought her laptop to serve as a lantern after dark. We of course left in a hurry, as well as our other items. I saw what she saw. It was items being rustled around 30 yards away. And without further hesitation, I put the car in gear and started down the rough road. As I tried to calmly drive the car down the dirt path quickly but carefully, it was a very rough road and I didn't want to get stranded out there. The strangest thing happened next. A loud, piercing, ringing noise rang from inside the car's cabin. I turned the radio on and off. I checked the windows. I asked my girlfriend if her car had ever made such noises, and she replied no. I asked her again if she could hear it, as maybe it was just me being under stress, and she said, yes, I I hear it. I don't know what that is, in a confused, panicked tone. Now, I wanted to write this off as a car problem, but if you were in there with me, you would describe it as some kind of bell continuously ringing. It didn't sound like any car noise I'd ever heard. And my next instinct, as I grew up as a pastor's kid, I just remember praying for 10 minutes as I was convinced it was a supernatural or demonic event. We endured the screech for 10 grueling minutes as to my relief, it ended suddenly. It didn't fade or go out quietly. The loud ring literally stopped in an instant. I can't describe the feeling in that car when it stopped. It is so strange to look back and remember that I felt internally that the ordeal was over once the ring stopped. Everything felt normal again. The panic, the chills, all of that went away in an instant. We ended up down the road another 45 minutes and finally stopped at a trucker diner. We slept in the parking lot, or at least she did, as... I was still on edge from the adrenaline dump I just went through. 
In attempted bravery the next day, we went back to the camping site as the sun was up. We investigated but saw no tracks or anything except for the contents of the tent tossed around but still accounted for. I was hoping they were missing so I could write it off as people screwing with us and plundering our tent, but that didn't seem to be the case. We were packed up and gone in less than 10 minutes as the area still felt weird. I haven't been camping since. I would go again, but next time I want an RV or at least at a relatively known location with others around. This place was the remote mountains of Payson, Arizona, far from civilization. Two years ago, I moved to the UK for university, as I always wanted to go there and just get away from my parents, as the situation at home was beginning to become too toxic for me. In first year at uni, I moved into a student accommodation and met some really great people. It was a good year without meeting my boyfriend, who I'm still with, and just enjoying my time away from family and discovering what independence really meant. Anyhow, as second year came by, I decided with some friends to move into a house rented by student accommodations, but at least we had our own house and weren't restricted as much with noise and parties as living in a small shared flat like in the first year. I had a ground floor room and my window gave into a very small backyard in which I would go smoke every day as I'm a smoker and in which there would be a very thin wooden door giving into the other side of the street where you could put your bins and broken chairs, blah, blah, blah. The door could only be closed and locked from inside the backyard, but since it was an old door, we had to attach some strings to keep it closed for good. I had neighbors on each side of the house, so we were surrounded by families and some other student accommodations. The neighbors on the right of us were five boys, who looked way over the age of being in university. They were strange, so to say. I met one of them outside of our house one day because of a police intervention due to one of his flatmates attacking him and the others with a kitchen knife and burning their kitchen down. I heard some screams and so I went outside with my flatmates and saw one of them being covered in blood and cuts everywhere on his arm and a wound on his head inflicted by a kitchen knife. Me and my flatmates didn't know what to do, so we offered him our help to clean himself and gave him an old t-shirt to change out of his bloody clothes. We then saw the guy who hurt these flatmates being escorted out by the police and into a van and driven off to be arrested. I don't know anything more about this story. The police didn't really tell us anything else. Anyway, the guy who we helped was quite weird. He said a lot of bullshit and kept trying to grab me and flirting with me. And we noticed when helping him, he smoked quite a lot of marijuana, but just didn't really care at the moment as we just wanted to make sure he was okay. We didn't even know him. Then after some time had passed, I would go to uni and come back home and see him quite often on the street. Just never said a word to him again. But one day he came up to me in the street while I went to the corner shop and started talking to me weirdly and I did not feel comfortable at all with that for some reason so I just didn't respond to him he then just said 
No, that's okay. I'll just wait in front of your house then and we can talk further. No need to say I was creeped out and just thought he was joking. So I bought my drink at the shop and headed back to my street. And as I turned into the street where my house was, I I saw him with this flatmate sitting on my doorstep and waiting for me. So I panicked and went back next to the corner shop and called my only guy flatmate to ask him to open the door and tell the guys to go away. But obviously he wasn't home and no one else was either. So I literally just waited it out until they left one hour later. And then I sprinted back home and locked the front door. No, my front door has a glass panel on it where you would be able to kind of make out who was standing in front of it. After this already pretty scary encounter, I just tried to avoid the guy and mostly succeeded for a while. But then one day, as I went out smoking in the backyard, I noticed that the wooden door, which is always closed, was open. And the strings that were put there to keep it closed were cut off. For whatever reason, I didn't think anything of it and just closed the door again and put a new string on it, thinking it was one of my flatmates who took the bins out and just didn't tie it back. The weird neighbors would very often scream and yell and fight in their house and it would wake me and my flatmates up in the middle of the night, but we kind of got used to it after a while. But one evening, my boyfriend slept over like he usually did and he, who usually never ever wakes up because of noise, woke up in the middle of the night because of a bang and some whispering. I was sound asleep, so he very silently woke me up and we both just waited in the dark and listened for any other noises. Suddenly, we heard the wooden door just bang, just shot open and some footsteps next to my window. I always had my window open because it would get really warm inside. So we both just froze. And then we heard the door leading to the backyard get shaken softly as if they were trying to get inside. And then it stopped. Luckily, we had the curtains closed so they couldn't see us, but We were ready to get dressed and get the fuck out of that room and lock them in if they came in through the window. Then we just heard my window move and get more open and one of the guys saying something in a different language that we didn't understand and started to hear them trying to get in. My boyfriend and I just shot up out of the bed, took my phone, put clothes on and ran out of the room and out of the house. So... I then called my flatmates and told them to lock themselves in their rooms and then the police who luckily came in less than five minutes as headquarters were only a couple of streets down from us. I don't remember anything after the police came. I think me and my boyfriend were in shock. They ended up catching one guy, but the other one fled and was later found a few streets up smoking weed. The police told us that they went inside of the house and found a lot of meth and heroin and that they were just carrying a massive kitchen knife with them. I was so confused as I've never done anything to offend or do anything wrong to my neighbors, but I mean, the idea of them breaking in with God knows what intentions with the kitchen knife terrorized me and my boyfriend. The two guys ended up being arrested and one of them was put in prison for two years for carrying a weapon with intention to harm. I never heard anything else from the police and I moved back home a few months later as I was so scared and it tormented me for months on end not knowing what would have happened if my boyfriend didn't wake up. I'm now still coping with it and finding it 
really tough to get over. The voice asking myself, what if, and what would have happened if? I now very often wake up because of the slightest noise and get horrible nightmares because of it. But hey, at least I'm still with my boyfriend and we often talk about it and it helps me a lot. I work at a financial institution and as part of my role, I coordinate training for all new hires within the first few weeks of their onboarding. The process begins when local managers send me the names and the contact details of the new hire so I can reach out to them for a brief introduction and to set the expectations of the training material. Prior to the start of the pandemic, I would simply reach out to the new hire at their new office phone number. However, with the new WFH changes, I would now reach out to the mobile numbers and residential phone numbers. All in all, a very similar process to what I was doing before, just with the caveat of having to reach out to people at home. As per usual, I received a new spreadsheet with the names and the info of the new hires I needed to contact when I came across a quite unique name. I picked up my headset and dialed the number provided. New hire. Hello, this is blank. Me. Hi, good morning. This is me calling from financial institution. Did I catch you at a good time? Yeah, this is great. However, can you please call me at my landline? My mobile service is not really reliable in this area. I wrote down the number she provided me and we hung up. Immediately, I dialed the phone number and waited for the dial tone. One ring, two rings, three rings. Older woman. Hello? Me. Hi, good morning. My name is me, and I'm looking for new hire. Can I speak to her? Older woman. Sorry, who are you? Me. I'm me, calling from the financial institution. She asked me to give her a call back on this line. Is she available? Silence. Me. Hello? Older woman. What do you mean she asked you to call her back? When? Me. Well, I I was just talking to her and she said her reception in the area is not really reliable and to please call her back at this number. Older woman. I'm sorry, but that's impossible. Name of new hire. Died three days ago. Me. Is this the telephone number provided by new hire? Older woman. Yeah, that's correct. Me. I'm sorry, I may have written down the number incorrectly. I apologize for your inconvenience and I'm very sorry about your loss. I hung up and was lost for words. I somehow managed to write down the wrong phone number and reached a residence with the recently deceased person who had the same unique name. I'm certain I wrote down the correct number, but it's impossible that the poor connection made me write a different number. I don't know what to think. This is such an odd coincidence. Me, my husband, and our daughter went to have a mini vacation at my mom's house who lives almost three hours away from us. We spend the day there and all is well until it gets to be dinner time. I take my daughter's sippy cup, 
it's the kind with the sassy saying and the only one of its kind that we had, and hand it to my husband so he can have it while he watches our daughter while I'm at the grocery store with my mom. We get back to her house and my daughter starts saying she wants juice. I asked my husband where the sippy cup was and he said he set it down on the table, but it's gone. We looked everywhere and it's completely disappeared. Defeated, I go back to the store and buy her another one. We finished the vacation without incident. About three to four months after coming back home, I noticed a hard bulge in my couch. It's not like something had fallen in there. It looked as if it was placed there while it was made. I've never noticed this before and curiosity gets the better of me, so I cut open the couch. It was my daughter's sippy cup that disappeared from my mom's house several months ago. I've never been able to explain this one away, and I chalk it up to being a glitch. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blame It on the Aliens. Hope you enjoyed it. And I want to say I am very blown away by the Spotify wrapped stats and all of that that I looked at this week about the podcast and just the support and listenership that I, I guess I wasn't aware of. And it makes me so excited and just thank you guys so much who are loyal listeners and who have rated and subscribed and all of that. Share it with a friend who enjoys this kind of thing too. Um, I definitely want to grow as much as possible and you guys are the only way to do that. So if you guys have not already followed me on Instagram, you can do that at Blame It on the Aliens podcast is my username. You can also send in your own story at Blame It on the Aliens one at gmail.com or you can also click the link in the description to send a voice memo. I would love to hear from you guys. And... If you have not already rated me five stars or subscribed and hit the notification bell, do so to keep getting updates about my newest releases of episodes and to support the show. It really does make a difference. So I will be back next week with more creepy content.